Between. My name is Danny and I'm Nadia and today we'll be talking about collaborations. Collaborations, just like the one Danny and I have here. <laughs> um, so last Friday I was, well today's Monday, so last Friday I was at uh, this, what would you call it, a trade fair or something, I don't know, it's called the Culture Cartel um, and I was moderating a panel um, where there were graffiti artists and we were talking about collaborations and plagiarism and how large corporations reach out to graffiti artists, street artists, graphic artists to collaborate for their advertising campaigns, why they would do that, um, what problems arise from doing so and things like that. And on the panel were um, apparently like really big names in graffiti art. Yeah. I must say I probably don't appreciate it as much as I should, but um, there were Crash or Crash One and um, Stash. So these are like really pioneering kind of graffiti artists who've been working for decades um, mm-hmm. in New York. And also there was Graflex um, from Korea. And we also had this illustrator who's what we really love. Yes. Called Ricardo Cavolo. Yeah. Um, he came to Singapore before. He did a mural. Oh, at, okay. I didn't um, know that. Near to Chinatown. Oh, I should have brought it up then. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was also uh, Lu Yongbin, who, who is the creative director at Ogilvy Singapore. So we're talking mm. about, you know, problems that arise from this, like, popularity um, of street art in, you know, really big corporations, uh, advertising campaigns, like with Mercedes, for instance. So I think that's what started off the panel Um what started off the organizers' idea about for this panel. So I think Mercedes they did this advertisement where they took the car against like a mural. Oh. And then they didn't credit the the yes. artist, they didn't pay the artist obviously. Yes. And they were just like, well, you know, it's public property and <laughs> we can just do this without having to, you know, um, pay any heat to yeah. whoever did that, but that's crazy. That that's the contradiction, right? Because on in the first place, a lot of graffiti is um, not sanctioned unless mm. they have been. Yeah. I mean, in New York, I know that a lot of walls mm-hmm. have graffiti that's branded. So, for example, for alcohol brands, yeah, etc. So those were paid for, whereas some that are not paid for or legal in that sense I guess people feel like it's free for all public property exactly um, but of course you know when when you do that when you take a picture of the car against such a background or such a backdrop you know that it does something for the car right yes it gives like street cred to the car <laughs> it gives you the idea that well you know it's really cool I mean that's like advertising one on one isn't it you know like it kind of links to it um, it gives yeah. you know um, some kind of cultural yeah. capital all the attributes associated with it exactly creativity <laughs> yeah you know um, outlawness <laughs> also <laughs> as well yeah so we were just chatting um, in this panel about the collaborations that he had done um, why they would say yes to a collaboration and, you know, problems that might arise from doing these collaborations. So one of the questions I asked was, how do you keep true to your own vision, like, you know, your own idea, your own um, kind of visual language when you're working with a brand? Because it is a collaboration, so it cannot be that whatever you do is exactly how you want to do it. It must always be in a dialogue with, you know, um, your collaborator. But at the same time, the only reason you're doing this is because the brand or the company really likes what you do. So you also have to get, you know, your voice out there visually. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it was really interesting to kind of hear what they had to say and also how sometimes they feel that, you know, when they get hired, it's not that the people really want what they have to do, but they just want it to fit exactly what the company wants as well. Yep. So it's kind of like a very difficult dance almost. And I think that's what defines all collaborations really. You know, it's never going to be that easy. Yep. Um, and sometimes I think brands just want to have a designer who can kind of replicate exactly what they want to do. Yeah, yes, man. Yeah. So I also asked about, you know, the idea of plagiarism. So like has their work um, ever been, sorry, or have their work ever been, you know, copied and then they, they weren't aware of it and then in the end, like, oh, you know, what happens? And then they said, well, then lawyers come into play. But then what about if you don't have the means to hire a lawyer or to, you know, take that route? What then do you do? So they talked about how, well, you know, for the graffiti artists, for the street artists, for illustrators, they try to help each other out. They support each other when they can. So, like, the more experienced ones, the more... Um, the people who have been down this road before, they will give guidance to the younger... Um, artists mm-hmm. to help them to battle you know whatever comes yeah. um, at the same time they talked about how with social media obviously it becomes much easier as well yeah. you know to kind of say something about yeah. it and it, that's the good thing about it isn't it like with social media you get to discover more art um, you know whether it's street art whether it's you know other kinds of um, creativity at the same time you can call people out on you know what's going on what what might be going wrong what you just mentioned reminds me a lot about um in 2013 jeremy scott had a collection that Mm. had this amazing colorful melting faces this really bright graphics and after the collection came out there was a big hoo-ha on the internet that these graphics actually below belong to Jim Phillips, a very famous skate graphic artist. Mm. And it was horrible because they were exactly the same. And everybody was like, how can the team not have known? How can Jeremy Scott not have known that this work belongs to somebody else? Mm-hmm. It was it was really like, for so obviously they had to, uh, he's a big artist, so they were able to settle with. Uh, compensation etc but that yeah. was a bit too late and it's not happened it wasn't the first time that it happened to Jeremy Scott right yeah mm. sometimes there's a thin line right between you know like being inspired and just outright copying yeah. um, and of course one of the biggest names in social media for that would be Diet Prada yeah um, so Diet Prada is this platform if you don't know already um, where they kind of call out Right, brands who have copied um, other designers' work. Usually it's mostly about how like the bigger brands or the more established ones mm-hmm. kind of take advantage of the younger ones who have no means of you know really doing anything about it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I must say that I find them too strident. What do you think then? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's a bit... Also, there is this thing in fashion much. that I learned from... Um, the, the FIT Museum in New York did a fantastic exhibition in 2015 co- mm-hmm. called Faking It, Originals, Copies and Counterfeits. Mm-hmm. And they had this video as part of it that was talking about this um, lawyer who works in fashion. And she says that, in general, the reason why fashion manages to change so much, it's because we have a very li- small copyright rule. As long as something has changed 10%, okay. it's an original. Oh, okay. So you could potentially maybe just change the colour or yeah. the sleeves. And and that's because if somebody had copyrighted the T-shirt in the 1950s or 1940s, um, we would never have been able to have 
new iterations of the t-shirt or new innovations in the mm. t-shirt. So this same thing that makes fashion so ubiquitous for copying is the mm. same thing that makes it change quickly. Yeah, because fashion thrives on novelty and change, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, with Diet Prada, you know, what they try to do is they always put, you know, these images where you have like something on the left and something on the right and yeah. then you can see that obviously there is some copying going on. Um, the platform is run by Tony Liu and Lindsay Schoiler. I might be saying her name wrong. Um, but they met apparently while working for a milliner called Eugenia Kim. And they've run the website, I think, for over four years now. And they have a following of more than a million on Instagram. Because mm. people love, you know, looking at that and seeing like, oh, wow, you know, that's really what's happening. But yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I just think it's like intertextuality, if I can say yeah. that. You know, it's like you do get influenced by what you see, you do get inspired, you kind of build on what, yeah. you know, each other does. And there is this concept now that a lot of people are using the concept of wokeness, right? Mm-hmm. Of being woke, so of being very aware of mm. things. And so Diet Prada showing that they can tell where everything is coming from just kind of fits onto this internet culture of like being aware of who's right and who's wrong and being very black and white about it. Mm. Whereas, yes, fashion has often... I mean, actually, even hip-hop began as, like, copying culture. Like, Mm -hmm. um, hip-hop artists will take a track from somebody else and, like, sing over it or, like, you know, and they they use that original piece on purpose to kind of override it or to add on to it. So that it's a lot more nuanced than just like, oh, this is copying on this, not. Mm. But I guess when it comes to money, like, who's making the money for it? That's, again, it's this thing about power. And if you're making the money from it, then, and the other person is not, then yeah. that becomes an issue. Yeah, but I just think that nothing is original. You no, know what I mean? Not. So <laughs> it's like, what are we talking about here? Um, but I, I definitely hear what you say. So I do think, you know, um, not all of their polls are acceptable, to be <laughs> honest. Um, but sometimes they really do kind of bring out things that are like, oh gosh, yeah, why is this person doing that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I feel sometimes also by a designer copying something or making, well, then that's the line, right, of like making reference to or copying. It's like you're introducing something to a new generation mm. that, maybe has been lost yeah but I guess there has to be the kind of like you need to state it out that Mm. it was a reference I think though what happens with that is I mean the good thing that comes from Diet Prada is that you can make a decision then right you Mm. can see you know what someone has apparently pilfered from the original but then also I think when you think about the idea of the original I am so sure that the original has also been copied from somewhere else like kind of goes back in time yeah so you we know? have this long web of like yeah. links to the past yeah exactly <laughs> and sometimes people are just not aware of how far back yeah. it goes i mean you know you can really just go yeah. down the rabbit hole but and i feel like that's what makes fashion history I and mean, fashion research so interesting mm-hmm. that you can go so far back and yeah sometimes make hypotheses about where it came from definitely yes I feel like that's a lot of what I do as well with like looking at magazines and trying to figure out like what the theme is or where the inspiration comes from because sometimes it's not that obvious, right? I mean, if you have interviews with artists and fashion designers and I think that happens more and more um, because like you said, we are 
part of like the information sort of economy and people really want to know what goes on behind the scenes what are the sources of inspiration and things like that but if you're looking at you know like maybe even in the 80s the 70s it's not that easy to come by because usually people will just be like okay yeah that's what I do and like it's mysterious and you know take it for what it is I don't want to you know um tell you how to think about it or how you should perceive it so that's also kind of how artists are like you know so if we come back to the panel that I was um, moderating then one of the questions I asked um, towards the end of the panel was what advice they had to give younger artists um, to kind of make it in the industry and I think you know whenever I ask these questions whether it's for art or for fashion I always get the same answers so one is that you just have to work hard. Like, you have to have a really <laughs> strong work ethic. And you got to just be, like, you know, in your studio, 9 to 5. Okay, this reminds me of the Dolly Parton song, but never mind. <laughs> and, um, and you have to just be consistent. Because one of the things that came up was that because we are in a social media age, people feel that everything is instantaneous. You know, like, I want it now, I can do it now. And they get impatient and it's the same for our students as well, right? I feel like they always want to know like how do I make it right away? How do I get my dream job out of college? Or even while I'm at college, how do I get it done? And it just takes patience and time and you got to put your intention out there but you got to kind of make the work so that when the opportunity comes, you are poised to take it up. So that's what um, the panel said. And I think they also talked about how it's important as well to have a community around you, so mm-hmm. not to work in isolation. Um, maybe not in terms of just like collaborating, collaborating, but you know, to kind of go out there, support each other in what you know you guys are doing. So I thought that was really important too. And I think one of the biggest takeaways actually from the panel was actually how difficult it is to dress differently. You know, remember? <laughs> I mean, yeah. we're kind of segueing into something else, but before the panel yeah the makeover of Nadia um so I had a meeting with the culture cartel um organizers and I think they took a look at what I was wearing that day and they were like so um for the panel can you not can you basically not dress like how you dress (laughs) how dare you yeah so well the thing is culture con is like a very hype beast like sneakers and cool things kind of a Yep. a place and you can buy like limited edition sneakers I, I think they call it like sneaker drops right so people were actually queuing up to buy things and to be honest when I arrived at um, Culture Cartel I was like okay I am really not in my comfort zone because <laughs> everyone was just looking really cool and really street <laughs> so um, the backstory is that before I went to this I um, annoyed Danny a bit when I was no, like no you didn't <laughs> Danny, what should I wear? Because I don't really own any streetwear or any like hype beast type thing at all. Um, because you know, you know, I love my plastic shoes and like my dresses and things. So in the end, I ended up wearing, curiously enough, what I would wear if I were in um, London for fall. <laughs> because I was like, okay, I got a wear sneakers. So luckily I had some, but like not cool in any way. I had some. <laughs> like Pedro Garcia sneakers, which are very feminine and so pink. fashion. Very fashion, uh, which I bought on sale like a while ago. And I had on like jeans. And, you know, I put this up on Insta stories and I cannot tell you how many people actually <laughs> messaged me and was like, Nadia, you're in jeans. Full stop. <laughs> or like, Nadia, you're in jeans! <laughs> Exclamation point. So it was really funny um, because I don't usually buy jeans. Okay. And um, then I had on like, 
a sweater. <laughs> and you then, have a hood. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, I, I need to kind of bling it up a bit. But I don't own anything bling. So I had to borrow, like, a big watch from my husband. <laughs> just to be like, yeah, look at me. I'm, like, street. Because I was Did on this panel. Did you walk differently with, as well? Yeah, I was like, should I swagger? Because I'm <laughs> on this panel. I'm the only, I'm the only female. Um, they're all, like, men who are, like, you know, we're tough. And we're, like, you know, in Low into jeans, graffiti art. And, yeah. like, yeah. So it was really funny. But it's so funny also because, uh, I mean, hype beast and yeah. street culture also. Yeah. And hip-hop music also kind of, like, had a bit of a turn towards fashion yes. in the last few years. Like, for example, I remember when Kanye West and Jay-Z Z-Z, had that yeah. song. Mm-hmm. And, like, be like, what's your jacket, Margiela? Uh-huh. And then all these streetwear people are like, yeah, Margiela's, like, this cool streetwear brand. But no, no. it's not. It's <laughs> a very fashion brand. Yeah. Yeah, so I was really confused about that as well. So it's like, do I go really street? Because then if you're really street, you wouldn't have, you know, any brand name things. But then now I kind of feel like that's where it's going. Because yeah. there are also a lot of collaborations as well, right? Between yes. like, you know, street yeah. artists, graffiti artists, yeah. illustrators with the big yeah. brands. And the most famous and earliest one was when Marc Jacobs brought in Steven Sprouse and mm. like Takashi Murakami Mm-mm. and put them on like, really expensive Louis Vuitton bags. Yeah. Or, like, I mean, this past weekend, there was this auction in Singapore, um, 33 auction. They were selling, I think, the Louis Vuitton and, like, Supreme skateboards. Mm. And I believe the Louis Vuitton and Richard, Richard Prince, Prince. Yeah. skateboards as well. So that's definitely oh, wow. part of street yeah. culture. So they were, like, auctioning these off um, as part of their sale, which was really more about, like, you know, modern and contemporary Southeast Asian art. But they had, like, some international art as well, and that was included in it. So it's been very intriguing to kind of understand how everything works together. And of course, I think all these brands are trying to tap on the cool factor. Yeah, yeah, right? And also trying to bring in like a new generation of spenders um, into the fold. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So I was wearing this this big expensive watch. I mean, expensive by my standards. Expensive watch, I guess. And I was like, okay, now I feel like I'm cool (laughs) enough and, you know, I'm legitimately here. Um, Yeah, but it was really interesting to think about how to dress in a different way than what I'm comfortable with but trying hard not to do it too much as well because then I would feel really out of depth right and I would feel like like really out of place yeah Yeah. so I still needed to be myself because I needed to moderate the porno uh, the porno Porno. (laughs) 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 scratch that guys (laughs) the panel well I don't know what that means, but <laughs> never mind. We're moving on, and um, <laughs> I guess blushing. <laughs> and then, um, well, luckily the panel went well, and we shall put that behind behind us now. But if we think about collaborations, we were also thinking about all the cool collaborations that have happened between mostly fast fashion labels, um, yeah. especially H and M with um, the big names in yeah. fashion. So the first one was in. With that H and M did was with Karl Lagerfeld in two thousand and four, and it's been fifteen years. Yeah, it has, yeah. And, and they've been doing it consistently since. Yeah, yeah, and some designers are designers that you wouldn't have thought would collaborate. So, for example, there was Comme des Garçons with H and M, and of course Martin Margiela, but that was after he left the house. Mm. So I don't know how. And you he own have approved of and that. you own something from that yes. collaboration, right? Yes, I really love the Margiela collaboration. I know that the the making of it was the material of it was probably not mm-hmm. 
up to the standard of what right. Margiela would have done. But, I mean, I was still in, in, in school and it was so cool to see, like, these really strange conceptual pieces in a fast fashion brand, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember a lot of people bought these clutch bags that looked like big candy wrappers. Mm, yeah. And then there were some leather jackets that were modeled after... I mean, they were actually reproductions, and the label said their reproduction of, and then the collection that it was reproduced oh, from. Oh, right. Actually, that's really cool. I it's would. It's very cool, yeah. yeah. And so I it's bought, all about the provenance. Yeah. Mm. I bought this uh, bodysuit that had, like, a black-brown on the outside, Ooh. and it's, like, skin color. Okay. And I really wish I had bought this top that looked like it was a graffiti. Oh, okay. Sorry, uh, it was a tattoo. I think you can probably still find it on eBay or I something. I think so. Yeah. Because what well, I was telling you about my experience, um, so as you guys know already now then, I love dresses, right? So one of my favourite dresses is actually a tea dress from the Topshop Kate Moss collaboration. I think this was in like 2007 or around that time. She did quite a number of collaborations with them, I think. And I remember that I would be so excited when the next you know collection was going to drop because her style is so covetable to me. And... Um, so I had this dress, this tea dress, which is like, I don't know, like floral print um, against a blue background. So like really colourful, like, uh, I'm actually wearing it today. Yeah. Um, it's like, very on trend it's with very, the puff sleeves. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, well, I had this dress and I wore it to death. And then after a while, um, I had to put it away because it was just too raggedy. You know, <laughs> like kind of, it was a bit fluffy and things like that. So... Um, after I got pregnant, I couldn't wear it anymore. It was a bit tight in, in area. So I was like, hmm, maybe if I go on eBay, I can find it. And I did. You know, like a bigger size. And some people just don't wear it. Like, they just buy it. And it still has tag and everything. Oh, wow. It's so weird. Yeah. So you can actually buy it BNWT, brand new with tag. Oh. <laughs> That's an acronym for you. Um, and yeah, it was really fun to be able to find it in another size. And... You know, I'm just looking at, you know, this article on um, graziadaily.co.uk because I was trying to figure out when it was that her collections came out. And in 2017, someone wrote this, um, a love letter to Kate Moss's Topshop collaborations and said 10 years on would still wear everything from her Topshop drop from 2007. Wow, I I remember that. Yeah. She had some um, kind of like, um, embroidered dresses and yes. a lot of sequined things. That's right. Yeah. And really like just, you know, beautiful bohemian, things. Yeah. Correct. Bohemian, bohemian rock star. Yeah. And I remember reading um, an interview with her at the time when this all came out and she said, well, you know, what I've done is I've just looked at my favourite pieces in my wardrobe and created this collection. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah. So I have always harboured dreams of having like a collection like that myself. Um, yeah. And so, <laughs> I know. Thank you for laughing at me, Danny. <laughs> it's funny. So what I've done is like I, I will keep things that I really love but obviously cannot wear out anymore because it's just too gross. Like they're holes or something <laughs> like that because they've been worn and loved. Um, and dreaming of the day when it will become, like, Actually, another that, collection. that's such an interesting um, exhibition concept. Like, I mean, a lot of people have donated, like, whole wardrobes to mm. museums, mm. and then people have done exhibitions with them. Yeah. Like, for example, Isabella Blow or um, Daphne Guinness. Mm-hmm. However, um... Perhaps of the common people like us. Yeah, exactly. Like the in-between <laughs> girls. <laughs> hey, but I think I read something recently about this woman who whose husband didn't know that she had so many clothes and then oh, when yeah. she passed on, she had like like unworn clothing, like hundreds of these dresses. And wow. can you imagine some, like a, a curator or 
museum receiving that and being like, wow, I've got like a fantastic archive yeah. of this period of time. Yeah, definitely. But also of like the choices that this person has made, right? Yes. Out of all of them. Yes. So, yeah, maybe you should do something with your wardrobe. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Because, I mean, collaborations happen on a lot of levels, right? I mean, you know, between the wearer and, you know, the person who's designed a piece of clothing as well. Because I'm looking at what you're wearing today. You're just telling me that you're wearing a t-shirt where you've made, like, holes and cutouts on purpose. So that's also, like, a collaboration. Oh, yeah, I'm collaborating with my (laughs) t-shirt. You're collaborating with your t-shirt and making it something new and cool that fits you and, you know. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, collaborations have reached a... I don't know mm. if it's true, but it feels like it's been a very saturated point. Mm-mm. Like, for example, when Vetmons was doing a lot of those... Um, col- like, the whole collection almost was a collaboration with Levi's, with, like, um, so many different designers, mm. like, every single piece. And what he said, I mean... What Demna said at that time that was very interesting was that he wanted to find the best people who did a particular garment the best and collaborate with them to develop something. Mm. Which kind of makes sense, right? Like, if somebody is the best at making leather jackets, then you want to do that. And Mm. another collaboration that, like, really made the brand re repackage was um, the Montclair collaborations with all these different designers, mm-hmm. Montclair Genius, yeah. with, which really took Montclair's down coats from like a generic down coat to something very whimsical and beautiful. Yeah. It's about the names and like the marrying of names and I feel the the more unexpected the better. Yes. Right? And it's like even in just having that, that's a cachet in itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, recently you, you bought something from Ikea, right? That's yeah. Yeah. So um, we were we were moving house, so we've been looking Ooh, for furniture. Yeah. <laughs> and we were looking. Uh, well, my husband was looking at this chair. That I love that in this episode we've both mentioned our husband. Yeah. <laughs> High five, Danny. I <laughs> <laughs> they have finally made an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> so he was um, looking for this Virgil Abloh uh-huh. Ikea chair yeah. on carousel on resale. Because apparently people had lined up overnight mm. to get them. Thinking that they would sell out. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, over the weekend we were in, we were there and then we were like, I was like, hey, isn't this the chair? And then we just got it and it was like half the price of what people were selling it online. Okay. So there's this, again, this hype that mm. collaborations create, especially with street, street artists. But if, if the objects are not truly, truly limited edition then it kind of defeats the purpose of it no this reminds me of when okay so there was one um, collaboration between H&M and Alexander Wang where my students were lining up overnight and I believe they were even interviewed by like news channels because they were like the front few people it was like really something and you know what they were doing while they're queuing up what they were preparing for assessments with me oh yeah (laughs) so they had they were very proud of it they had brought their laptops (laughs) they had they were working on a presentation and the next day, after they had bought their Alexander Wong H&M stuff, they came to class and they presented. In their H&M stuff? Well, no, they were yeah. in paperbacks. And I was like, so, you you went to do this, oh, and you okay, did not yeah. ask me if I wanted to buy anything <laughs> from this collaboration. Points deducted. <laughs> but I was amazed by how they were like, okay, we're going to plan this out. We're going to bring our laptops and work on this presentation as a group. And we're going to buy these things that we really want. And we're going to go to Nadia's class right away after we get our things and 
give this presentation. And I remember actually when you were talking about the Margiela collection that it was about the time when people were talking about how well people were queuing up not to buy it for real for themselves but to resell it for a higher price. Mm. And I think the Margiela collection was the first one I noticed it went on sale quite quickly. I'm not sure if this was... Yeah, but I think it's also because the pieces are a bit challenging for the local market. I mean, the leather jackets were... They were not cheap as in... as. I mean, of course, cheaper than Margiela, but they were selling, retailing at over $200, Mm. $400 even, and it wasn't the regular H&M prices. Mm. I also wonder how do these collaborations change the fast fashion brand? Like, do they find new processes or I don't know I don't know it feels like a wild uh, machine yeah not sure well aside from um, H&M I mean one of the best collaborations we've seen recently is the Dries Van Noten and Christian Lacroix one right yeah which New York Times said is the collaboration to end all all collaborations. collaborations yeah and it's very fun because you know, we've been having a lot of these high-low collaborations, yes. like, you know, very expensive brands with very, like, mass-market brands. Yeah. But then suddenly you have, like, wait a minute, you know, two really established fashion designers collaborating with each other. What did you think of the collection? I mean, it was beautiful. And mm. as people have said, everybody, many people thought that, oh, this is this seems like such a natural pairing. Mm. How did they not think of this before? Yeah. And apparently, um, yeah. Yeah. That's what good. else can I say? Yeah, what else can we say? It was the collaboration, and all collaborations. Yeah. Let the work speak for itself. So I wonder if we'll see more of these types of collaborations moving forward. Probably. Because it's interesting also that, you know, um, it wasn't like a luxury label with a fashion designer, Mm. right? It was two fashion designers. That just seems like the new thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was like two fashion designers that are always exploring femininity and craft. Mm -hmm. And they've got such a great eye for colour. And and also it's almost like, I mean, they also come from two different generations. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, and it's almost have, like a... Mm. It's a beautiful, like, equal, but mentor, but, you know. Yeah. And also sort of, like, different visions as well for mm. their own brands. And coming together must have been an interesting thing. Well, okay. I think that's all we have for this episode. We meandered quite a bit. But, yes. I mean, we were wanting to talk about collaborations. And I think we, we did that. Yeah, and streetwear. Yeah. And, and streetwear. And graffiti. <laughs> and plagiarism and and all of that. Well, thank you so much for listening to us on this episode. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. And if you do, please follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And do follow us as well on Instagram because Danny uploads all these amazing photos that um, give visuality to what we talk about in our episodes. See you next time. Bye. Bye.